The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hi, my name is Chima. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. Born and raised in Washington, D.C. I had an older brother. His name was Sterling. Sterling was a, a blood, which is one of the gangs that were around in the area that I lived in. Sterling was 18 years old when he died, shot and killed by the MS-13. I think that watching that and, and experiencing that kind of changed who I was at that point. I think my mom really was confused or, I don't know, she couldn't control the situation and my mom and my relationship changed. From the time I was eight, nine years old, she, uh, she began to, um, to abuse me. Shortly after we moved to Hagerstown, the abuse kind of got worse with my mom. I think that she kind of talked herself into believing that what she was doing was what God would have wanted her to do. Going into high school, uh, my mom had stabbed me twice and uh, kicked me out. Through that, I ended up going into the foster care program. It was difficult to focus because all I could think about was the people that were supposed to be part of my life, the people that were supposed to care about me, the people that were supposed to train me and raise me and kind of put me out into the world, just kind of left. The entire time I was going through this foster care program, I ended up make, becoming really close friends with who later became my adopted brother. I spent a lot of time with his family. I spent a lot of time at their house. I called his parents, my parents. His parents were actually going through the process of adopting me. I always struggled with, uh, with the whole adoption thing because there was just something in the back of my head that was like, you know, these aren't my real parents. This, this isn't my real family. And so although they, they loved me and they treated me as if I was one of theirs, at the end of the day, I wasn't. And so it was, it was tough for me. My biological family doesn't want me, and I can't accept that a adoptive family does. Once I turned 18, I aged out of the system. I left. The first thing to go for me was, was church, because it reminded me of my mom. I knew what was right from wrong. Like, I knew what the Bible said, I knew what God said, I knew what you weren't supposed to do, and I made that conscious decision to do it anyway. I think getting into selling drugs is where things started getting really scary. I had a point to where it was like, I didn't want to live that kind of lifestyle. It took up until about a year and a half into college, kind of realizing that what I was, the way that I was living, I wasn't going to turn out to be any different than, than my older brother Sterling. What's surrounding you? what's been surrounding you most of your life. If you're anything like me, there are moments that become memories, that start to become a pattern. It seems like in our lives, things go from bad to worse. And one experience compounds into the next experience and you look back on your journey and you just look at, not only was it this death, but then it was this abuse and this hurt and this negative experience. And after a while, you start going through life just waiting for the other shoe to fall, where you just kind of expect that you're living under some in, invisible curse. And, and as a result, it feels like you can't see it. You can't look around and see what's hunting you, but you feel like there's this thing that's just hunting you, surrounding you. Like life is just, even if it doesn't always go wrong, you're just waiting for it to go wrong. 
Personally, I'm a little bit of, I don't know, like an adventure junkie. Uh, I love adventure, and I have a tendency to chase adventure, but every once in a while, it chases back. Uh, let, let me explain. Um, recently, I had the chance, the privilege of leading a team uh, to Albania. One of the churches we work with very closely doing humanitarian work is in the nation of Albania, one of the poorest countries in Europe. And so when we were over there, we decided it'd be really fun to go for a hike in the Albanian Alps, and while we were there, there, there's actually a trail, if you really head out and you make good time, you can, I mean, you get up to some peaks, and you can actually cross from Albania into the nation of Montenegro, and so, of course, I'm there, and I'm like, why not? Let's do this, and we are in the middle of nowhere, and we had heard rumors that uh, there's wolves up in these mountains, and I'm like, that makes it even better. I mean, that's awesome. We can hike from one country to the next, and there might be wolves wolves. And so we, we went, we uh, hiked and it started raining. And of course, now we're slipping and sliding up through these like uh, treacherous trails. And uh, we, we made it through fog and we finally made it up to one of the summits that we were trying to get to. And we were super pumped, but we still had several miles to go to get into Montenegro. And so we're hiking and hiking and now, and our, and our group started windling down, meaning as the further we went, a few of them were like, yeah, we're turning around and we're going back because uh, it was getting bad and then it got worse and then we start hearing like howls and uh, the two Albanian guys in our group they're like yeah this is bad like we we want to go back we're like there's only four of us nobody can leave now like we, we're sticking together and and of course me I'm like let's go let's go we got to keep going I don't care if there's wolves we're gonna keep going and you like I'm, I don't know if you've ever had this well of course you haven't no one's crazy dumb like this but you could actually hear the howls echoing off like the canyon walls and it felt like they were like surrounding us to the point where we couldn't tell where they were so I'm just like, let's keep going. And uh, so we, get, we go further and further and it's getting louder and louder so we at least feel like we're heading in the right direction. <laughs> Cute, you can laugh. Um, and cringe simultaneously. Yeah. And, and so we finally, we reach this point where we crest this ridge and now we're hiking down and we can actually see a couple miles ahead where we're supposed to cross into Montenegro. But between us and Montenegro is a flock of sheep which you should all be like, oh, that's so cute, oh. Yeah, only apparently in these mountains, wherever there's sheep, there are sheep dogs called mastiffs, and they sound just like their names. They're massive. I mean, they're like the size of lions, and they may as well have been lions because they, they saw us before we saw them, and that's where the howling was coming from, and it got louder and louder the closer we got, and I'm not kidding you, our trail led right past this flock of sheep. And, and so we're walking, and these guys are like, Patrick, this is horrible. We're going to get eaten alive, and I'm like, we got to get to Montenegro. We got to get to Montenegro, and, and these dogs are like coming at us. Anyway, I'm here. The other three guys, not so much, but um, they, they wanted to turn around. They wanted to get off course. They're like, let's just go the long way. And I'm like, no, show no fear. And it, here, here's the thing. I just feel like it's such a metaphor of some of our lives that your things go from bad to worse. And just when you feel like you made it through, you start hearing howls. And you're like, you gotta be kidding me. 
Like I, I just survived that financial crisis and now I'm going through a relational crisis. And I, uh, you know, I just navigated through that, you know, that relational disaster and I got a diagnosis in my health. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. And eventually the howls and the echoes start to feel like fear and shame and regret and guilt. And it can get us off course. It can, it can rob us from the destination that we set. And then we start to wonder if this was a good idea at all. And if life is really what you thought it was, and you can begin to veer off course, hunted and haunted, feeling surrounded by things that have gone live because life just seems to go from bad to worse. And you don't quite know how to get out of the mess that you're in. Have I adequately at least describe some seasons that you've been through? Well, at the very least, King David could totally relate. Here's a guy who pretty much most of his life, he was hunted and chased by very real enemies. He grew up as a shepherd, so he could relate to the whole sheep thing but went from being a shepherd to being a renowned warrior. And as a warrior, regularly felt him, found himself in really serious battles. But the worst, one of the worst battles he experienced was that uh, his father-in-law, the king, decided to hunt him. And so he runs for his life and eventually runs up into the mountains where he would have spent some time as a child, as, as a young man, exploring the mountains that overlooked the village of Bethlehem where he grew up. Later in life, when he became king and other nations would, would go to war against him, he would retreat up to these same mountains where he would plot his battle strategy. And he found a favorite place, a cave, the cave of Adullam. And in that cave, looking out at enemies, hunting him, surrounding him, reminded of his boyhood home, simpler times, he wrote what became the most famous poem in all of history. That poem became a song that was included in a book of songs known as Psalm 23. You probably have heard this before, but let me just read a little bit of it to you. Remember, he's not sitting in a palace surrounded by riches and luxury. He's sitting in the mouth of a cave surrounded by enemies fearing for his life. And he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He can look out and he can see the pastures that he once brought sheep to graze. He leads me beside quiet waters. My God, who is a shepherd, is guiding my life. He's leading my life and he leads me to places where I can be refreshed and find calm, even when my enemies are hunting me. And then he concludes his poem, his song, with this powerful statement. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. How could a warrior becoming a king, hunted and hated and chased and haunted, say that God's goodness and love are pursuing him every day of his life? Unless David knew something most of us don't know. And that is, we look at life and we feel like life is going from bad to worse, but David saw that even when life is at its worst, God is at work. In fact, you could say that the principle that, that really jumps 3,000 years later into our life is this, that when we are surrounded by the worst, God surrounds us with his best. David says, surely goodness and love 
will follow me every day of my life. Whether I'm surrounded by enemies or I'm surrounded by what's hunting me or haunting me, if I'm surrounded by guilt or shame or fear or regret, I know that when life surrounds me with its worst, God is surrounding me with his best. He is surrounding me from my enemies and he is surrounding my enemies. And that, that just sounds good to say. It sounds good to hear. I, I hope when you hear it, you're like, that, that sounds good. It sounds like hearing about a flock of sheep. Oh, sounds, am I the only one? No. <laughs> but when I hear it, I also feel like it's impossible to believe. I want to believe it. But my experience tells me, no, that life goes from bad to worse. And when I listen to CJ's story, he said, you know, those that had, should have been looking out for me were the ones that seemed to hurt me. Those that should have been protecting me were the ones that seemed to do the most damage to me. And maybe some of you feel that way about God. You feel like the God who should be looking out for me doesn't seem to be looking out for me. So why does it feel impossible that when life gives me its worst, God would give me what's best? And it's this. It's that you and I, the problem is not God. And it's not that God has abandoned us. It's that you and I have turned our back on God. What makes it impossible is that you and I have a far worse enemy than the enemies that surround us. Because there is an enemy that lives inside of every one of us. We were born with a built-in enemy. And as horrible and creepy as that sounds, it's not, the, it's not the bark of the dogs that intimidate us. It's not the things that seem to be chasing us. It's not the financial disaster. It's not the relational breakup, the divorce, the, the horrible communication, the phone call you got. It's not the diagnosis. No, the worst part of life is that there's this spiritual sabotaging sickness within us called sin. Sin is what drives life from bad to worse. Here's what sin does. It tricks us. It drives us away from God into believing that if it feels good, it is good. So we begin to go down paths. We get off course and we go down paths, roads, directions that lead to our ruin. And not just physical death. The ruin of eternal judgment. The end result of sin is that because it separates us from God, the end of sin is a forever existence far away from God receiving the suffering and the judgment for that sin. And here's the thing. God was unwilling to leave us there. God intervened in your story and my story. How did he intervene? By becoming one of us. Here's what David saw. David saw that when he was surrounded, when he was hunted, God was not against him but for him. So how could he come to that conclusion? Well, he saw that God was a shepherd. And so when he wrote it, he was looking ahead a thousand years to when Jesus would become one of us. He was looking ahead a thousand years to when God would step out of heaven into earth, to take on the clothing of humanity, to bear our sin, to bear our shame. What Jesus did was when he came to earth, it wasn't just to become a man and it wasn't just to teach us how to know God. 
Jesus came to earth to take the consequence of sin in eternal judgment, to bear the weight of our suffering, to take our judgment on himself. So when Jesus died on a cross, he was dying in our place, suffering our eternal judgment, absorbing the suffering, the shame, the guilt we deserve. So when we believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven. We are given the promise of new life and hope. How? Because Jesus not only died, he rose again from the dead. In fact, this is what Jesus says. It was recorded by a friend and follower of Jesus named John, who wrote out the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. And in John chapter 10, he writes, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And what Jesus was saying was this, I came to be the good shepherd. A thousand years after David wrote about the shepherd, Jesus came and said, I am the good shepherd. Your God is good and your God is for you. I am the good shepherd and I gave my life for my sheep. You're the sheep that he gave his life for. And so when Jesus died, he paid the price. But when he rose again, which is the ultimate victory, he didn't just pay the price, he gave us access to that promise. When Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin, he defeated death, and he gave us victory over eternal judgment. When Jesus died, he purchased the promise that goodness and love would follow us every day of our life. But what was purchased was accessed through the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, he gave us victory over death. So when you believe in Jesus, by faith, you are not only forgiven, guilt and shame removed, you are given new, true, and eternal life because God's spirit comes and lives in our spirit. Here's the thing. It's not that it, it's not all about Jesus dying on the cross. The message of the Bible, the message of Christianity, the message of Jesus is that dead things can live. The message of Jesus is life itself. He gave his life so we could have life. He rose from the dead to give us victory over death, victory over the fear of eternal judgment. So now we walk in the promise that surely God's goodness and love will follow us every day of our life. We can begin to echo the promise of David. And when you know that, it changes your story. It changes your story, my story. It certainly changed CJ's story. And so he wanted to share a little more of that. So would you check this out? So I decided that I was going to go back home and kind of reevaluate my decisions. My adopted brother and I had kind of stopped talking while I was in college, he had randomly texted me and he said, hey, I need a guitarist. When he asked me to play at the church, I was just kind of like, nah, there's no way I can do that. Dude, if you knew the way that I was living my life right now, if I walk into a church, I'd burst into a ball of flames. After thinking about it for a couple of days, I was like, you know what, I really miss playing guitars. I'm just gonna do it for that. I'm just gonna do it because I get to play guitar. So I went, I went to this church, I walked in. In my mind, I'm thinking, all right, well, these are all church people. I'm obviously not. They're gonna judge me, this is gonna be awful. And uh, I remember walking through those doors and not a single person showed any type of judgment towards me. From that moment on, it was kind of like, a, all right, well, if they can have that kind of love for me, then I know that I can love myself. And so I decided to rededicate my life to Christ that night. So there's a verse that I've always um, kind of come back to, and it's Isaiah 30, 21. It says, whether you look to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. Through all of what I've gone through, I've looked to the right, I've looked to the left. Even though I don't think I've ever audibly heard God speak to me, there's things that have happened in my life where I know that there's something saying, this is the way, walk this way. God has been a father, in situations that I've been in, but he's also been a mother 
He's also been a teacher. He's been faithful. There's no doubt about that. He's been faithful. He's been there for me every step of the way. So appreciate CJ's courage, just to be willing to be vulnerable and share the pain, the challenges that he faced as he walked through life, but also the victory that he found through faith in Jesus Christ, the healing, the hope. He discovered that God's goodness and love we're chasing after him, following him in life. And that, that's what I want to encourage you with. And, you know, maybe you feel like CJ, like you're like, man, if I, if I turn to God, I'm going to burst into a, a ball of flames and, you, you know, life just has not gone right for you. And you feel like almost like God is against you. When that's what David's writing about. David's saying when, when you feel like God's against you, here's what I want you to know, that he is a shepherd and surely goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life, all the days of my life. What was his point? He was going like this. Uh, Basically what he was trying to say was, or, or I could reword it this way, would you allow God's goodness and love to guard you? And I use the word guard because that's really what David is trying to capture here. He's saying hiding in a cave, almost defenseless to my enemies, hunting me, I discovered that God is my guard, and I wanna share with you how God guards me. Here's the way God guards me. Surely goodness and love surround me. The word he uses there when he says, follow me all the days of my life, remember, this was written in Hebrew, and so when David's writing this, it's not an easy way to translate it into English. So you you could translate it, follow me, but it might actually translate a little bit stronger, something like chase me down, or chase me and overtake me. Um, So you feel like something is hunting you, and then if it catches up to you, it would overtake you and destroy you. What David is saying is, goodness and love chase me down and overtake me. When I was hiking in the mountains, I didn't have, you know, any real, like, brilliant epiphanies. But later, I was looking back on that situation, I had this thought. What would it be like to be one of those sheep? So I'm an outsider looking in at the flock. I'm the one that they feel threatened by. And so the dogs are barking at us. These mastiffs are chasing us. They're scaring us away. But to a sheep, we're nothing. We're no threat. We're no problem. Why? Because they got some sheepdogs looking out for them. And sheepdogs are keeping the sheep from danger. And I had this thought, I was like, man, that's what God does for us. We feel, maybe CJ felt like he was on the outside looking in. And if I go anywhere near there, I'm going to burst into a ball of flames. But God, through Jesus Christ, invites us into the flock. And now we have goodness and love following us. In essence, God brings two sheepdog alongside of you. One named goodness, one named love. And they are following you wherever you go. And if, if necessary, they will chase you down and overtake you. They will overtake the things that are fighting against you. They will overtake you to protect you. Goodness on one side, love on the other will chase you down, overtake you to chase the things that are chasing you. The fears that are haunting you are afraid of goodness and love. Death, well, death got killed by Jesus. Eternal judgment destroyed through Jesus Christ. So whatever is chasing us, 
should be afraid of what is for us. Suddenly you went from being an outsider looking in to be an insider looking out at your threats. Now between you and what's hunting you, between you and what's surrounding you is goodness and love. That's what David was saying. He goes, between me and my enemies, is goodness and love. And wherever I go, goodness and love are right by my side. Wherever I walk, whatever cave I'm hiding in, whatever tragedy, whatever disaster I'm going through, goodness and love right by my side. Love, or it could also translate mercy, God's protection keeping me from what I deserve. I deserve judgment. I deserve suffering. I deserve shame. I deserve guilt. His love, his mercy keeping me from that, guarding me from those thoughts of guilt and shame and regret that would hunt me down and get me off course. Then his goodness comes alongside of me. Goodness is giving me what I didn't deserve. God comes up alongside of me. And when I, when I feel like I don't deserve that, God says, no, I've purchased this for you. I bought this for you. This is a gift. His grace is God's goodness given to us, even though it's totally undeserved. And that's what David is writing when he says, certainly goodness and love are following me, chasing me down and overtaking me, protecting me because I have been invited into the sheepfold of God. And then I, I love the wording here. He says, follows me, you know, chasing me down all the days of my life. That, what that means, you could also say it this way, wherever I step, wherever I leave footprints, the footprints of goodness and love are stepping where I step. So I leave a footprint, goodness and love step, they're falling right behind me, leaving the footprints of goodness and love. What are you leaving behind? Because of what Jesus did on the cross and the power of the resurrection, because of the life of God in you, because of the love of God in you, because of his forgiveness, because of his healing, because of his goodness. Everywhere you go, goodness and love follow you. What's following you? What are you leaving behind for others to see? Because whatever fills you will spill out of you. You, you live in the overflow of God's goodness and love. But David doesn't stop there. He says this, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His point, sitting in a cave, hunted, haunted, surrounded. He goes, I, you know, I'm far away from the palace. I'm far away from the place where I would go to worship God. Here's what I know. We are most at home in God's presence. You are most at home in God's presence. Some of you, you wish you could just go home and lay in bed, close your eyes, and find peace and calm and rest. David laying sleeping in a cave, chased and hunted, could have certainly sat back and said, man, I I just want to get home to the palace. But he knew something that so often gets missed, that we are most at home, at rest, at peace and calm, wherever God's presence is. A shepherd takes the sheep on a long journey through the mountains, through valleys, past threats and danger, by the things that are hunting them and haunting them. He brings them to places to pasture and to drink. And eventually, right when the winter sets in, the shepherd will bring the sheep back into the, back to home, back to the pen. And so David is reflecting on the fact that, you know, when the sheep come home, the sheep come back to a place of rest. 
He said, that, that's where I want to be, God. I want to be in a place where I can be home in your presence forever. And what David understood is that God's home is open wide. God's arms are open to every one of us and he's inviting us in. You are invited into the sheepfold of God. You are part of the family of God and you are, his arms are open wide, welcoming us home. And simply through faith, we find our home in the presence of God. Jesus, our loving rescuer. God, our loving father who says there's, there's room for you in this home. And wherever you go, when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are home in the presence of God. What we most need and what we can most enjoy is being at home in the presence of God. And that, that might just sound like a nice thing to say, except when you're surrounded and you're hunted, and you're looking for a way of escape, you're looking for a place where you can rest, and suddenly you discover that I can sit at my desk at work. I, I can be, I can be uh, in a situation in a courtroom because I've been challenged, and I'm being you know, threatened, and I can be sitting there, and I can be most at home because the presence of God is with me. You are surrounded by the presence of God through faith, in Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, welcome home to you. You are part of the family of God. You belong here. You are, you are, you are a part of my family and I take ownership for you. So we can join with David and say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not in church, not in a religious ceremony, not only when you're doing religious things, but simply because you are a child of God. Now, when I, when I see a, a sheepfold, when I see a flock, I think about it very differently. I, I see that they're surrounded by the protection of sheepdogs. They belong, and they're under the loving care of a shepherd, and that's right where we are. I, I'm part of the sheepfold, cared for by my loving shepherd, Jesus Christ, protected by goodness and love that are following me and chasing me and overtaking me, keeping me from what is threatening me and chasing me. And so I would challenge you and invite you right now. Where are you at? For some of you, you need to discover that when life comes at you with its worst, God wants to chase you down with his best. But the way we receive that is by saying yes to the invitation of being invited into the family of God. And for some of you, maybe many of you right now, many of you at each of our campuses, at Chambersburg campus, our classic cinemas campus, Wilson, you, you're ready to say yes to Jesus and receive that invitation to come home and be part of the family of God. You're ready to say yes, believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You believe that he is your good shepherd and you're ready to take that step of faith right now. And if that's where you're at, I want you to take a bold step. Would you just close your eyes? Again, at each of our campuses right now, would you just close your eyes for a moment? If you're at that place where you're ready to say yes to Jesus, you're receiving the invitation to come home. You, you see the arms of a loving God with his arms wide open saying, welcome home. And you're ready to respond. Would you just raise your hand high and say, yeah, that's me. I'm, re I'm ready to come home. I I'm receiving that invitation right now. Welcome back into the family of God. With your hands raised, I wanna just take a moment. I wanna pray over you right now. 
Jesus, thank you for loving us so much. God, you did not leave us under a curse, hunted, surrounded. You reversed the curse by coming and dying in our place, but then rising from the dead, victorious over sin, death, and eternal judgment. So as we believe in you by faith, and for each one that raised their hand, God, you're meeting them right now in a real way, forgiving them of sin, removing shame and guilt, and giving them new life. Your spirit's entering into their spirit. They're welcomed home. And so now, God, also for each one of us that believe in you by faith, help us to begin to live that out, that we would allow goodness and love to guard our hearts, guard our lives, when we find ourselves most at home in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.